Well, even though I didn't serve in the military myself, um, I come from a, a military family. Um, when my father was 16 years old, the year was 1943, uh, he asked his parents, along with a friend of his, asked their parents if they could join the Navy. Now, this was common practice in World War II. You wouldn't see that <laughs> these days. But 16 and 17-year-olds, with their parents' permission, could join the military. And this was halfway through the war, 1943. And so my father, as a 16-year-old, joined. It was in the Navy, served in the Pacific Theater for three years, from 1943 to 1946. And, um, and so because of that, and because of I have grandparents and uncles and others that served in the military, uh, I've always felt very... Um, uh, that Memorial Day was a very important uh, time to remember those who have given uh, the uh, last full measure, right, um, uh, that of, of their life. And so uh, I'd like to read to you um, a, an article I read. Actually, it was a letter to the editor in the newspaper this last week, and here's what it says. The last Monday in May is Memorial Day, and to many it marks the beginning of summer. It features parades, barbecues, and other activities that cause many to forget the purpose of the day. Memorial Day, originally Decoration Day, began during the Civil War with the decoration of the graves of Union and Confederate soldiers who died in the conflict. In the subsequent 150 plus years, the day has been expanded to include all of our wars and conflicts. Let us not forget that Memorial Day is the day when we all pause and remember the brave men and women who put on the uniform of our armed forces and who put themselves in harm's way so that we could sleep safely in our homes at night and who died in the, in the service of our nation. On Monday, May 25th, please take a minute out of your day to remember all the folks, all the, the fallen soldiers who paid a price that we can never fully repair. Repay, excuse me. So, um, We've been hearing on K-Love that uh, tomorrow at 3 o'clock, everyone is supposed to stop and have a moment of remembrance. Now, a generation ago, we would have said we would have stopped and had a moment of prayer, right? But now we call it a moment of remembrance. But that's okay, because we want to remember the last full measure of the price that many people paid for our freedom. Remembering is very important. In fact, one of the great themes of the Bible is to remember. God said, I want you to remember how I created you. In Psalm 139, you were created, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Remember that I created you. Remember my covenant to you, not only to the children of Israel, but to all of those who call upon the name of the Lord. Remember my promises to you. It's really important that we remember those things. And the psalmist said, remember the wonders he has done. Remember God's wonders and his beauty and his creative power. And in the book of Exodus, remember the slaves that were released from the bondage that they had in Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea and they, for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness to get to the promised land. Remember that I delivered you and I redeemed you. And he was constantly reminding the children of Israel, remember what I have done for you. 
Well, they started complaining, well, we don't have the right kind of food and we don't have the right kind of fresh water. And God says, can't you remember how that I brought fresh water out of a rock? Can't you remember when I gave you quail and I gave you manna? Can't you remember that? Remember, a constant theme that God says to all of us is to remember what the Lord has done. The psalmist said this, remember, O Lord, your great mercy. And it even matters to remember what God says he won't remember. What he promised, I will never remember their sins anymore. Isn't that a great promise from God? I will never remember their sins anymore. So this is one of the most consistent and persistent themes in the Bible is to remember. And the thing that I would like to share with you today from God's word is this. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Um, when I was a boy, um, my father had this saying, and he told it to myself and my three sisters, anytime there was something big happening or something uh, memorable that was taking place. And he'd always pull you aside. And I remember I was uh, 17 years old. I just graduated from high school. And myself and a friend, another 17-year-old, were taking a big truckload of food and supplies to a, a mission village uh, called Moctezuma, Mexico, 100 mile, 120 miles south of Douglas, Arizona. We were traveling from San Diego, so two 17-year-old kids with this huge truck and a pocket full of cash and nothing else, no cell phones. And this village we were going to, by the way, had no electricity and no telephone service. So my mother was very worried. We're going to be gone for a month. And I remember my dad pulled me aside. He said, son, I want you to remember something. I want you to remember who you are. I want you to remember you're a cross. That's your name. It's my name. It's your mother's name. It's your grandfather's name. And I want you to remember what that means. It means that you live a life of integrity. You live a life of honesty. You live a life full of God and his word. I want you to remember who you are. You're a cross. And then he said, I want you to remember whose you are. You belong to Jesus. Represent him well. And the way you talk to the people, and the way you talk, even though you don't know much Spanish, the way that you're going to communicate, represent Jesus Christ. You're to be a light. Remember who you are. And remember whose you are. There's this wonderful passage in the Bible. And if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you now to turn to 1 John chapter 3. Uh, by the way, uh, old school like me use this thing. It's got leather on it and actual pages. It's called a Bible. Okay, uh, those of you that have uh, electronic devices, those are good too. Uh, God didn't anoint India paper and leather. He anointed anything that had his word on it. So you're okay with your phones, your iPads, whatever you have. Um, and here's what I want to say to you, Miss Carrie. What are you going to say? Read your Bibles, okay? Let's say it all together out loud. Read your Bibles. Now, why on earth would I say that to you every single Sunday? I'll tell you why. Because this book will change your life. This book will transform your life. In, our, in the Covenant Church, the Evangelical Covenant Church, we always say there's two hills that we'll die on. The Bible is the Word of God, and every person can experience new life in Jesus Christ. Everything else we'll talk about, we'll argue about, we'll disagree about, but those two things we'll always agree on. And so you need to read your Bibles. It's an amazing book, and it has amazing stories of God's truth in it. So 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and this is the passage that I selected that I think most clearly declares to you and to me who you are. And God wants you to remember today who you are. This is the word of God for the people of God. 1 John 3, 1 to 3. 
See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children. Now just stop right there. He calls us His children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know Him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that, he will be lo- that we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as He is pure. Remember who you are. You're a child of God. Now, I know this is kind of unusual, kind of weird, but is there a baby out here I can borrow for a minute? Is there a, ba- a baby that's not attached? Okay, bring Dylan over here. Uh, I don't want an attached baby. Bring a baby over here. and Because uh, I want to remind you of uh, a 1 John uh, 3.1, the verse that you hear over and over again. Hi, Dylan. How are you? How are you? Oh, boy. He's a big one. Okay. So what do I do when we dedicate babies, right? Right? We hold them up. First of all, they're not usually this heavy. And we say what? We say, behold what manner of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. Did you know that? You're a child of God. That's right. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Dylan. So that verse that we're looking at today is the verse that we say, in the 15 years that I've, I've been the pastor of this church, uh, we've had about uh, over 180 dedications of babies. So we have a lot of babies. And every time we've said that verse, behold what manner of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. So this morning, what I want you to remember is this. I want you to remember who you are. You are a child of the living God. Now, Jesus um, used the term father often. And uh, he prayed a lot, John 17. You know, you know all the prayers in the New Testament. And Jesus uh, called his heavenly father, father, many times. But there was a couple of times when Jesus reverted to a different name for his heavenly father. And that name was Abba. Abba. Now what Abba means, uh, it's translated uh, to mean this. um, Daddy. Or Papa. Or in my case, there's some kids in church who call me Gong Gong. That means Grandpa in Chinese. Okay? So it means Daddy. Papa. For some of you, maybe Bipa. (laughs) Or Gong Gong. It's a very personal, very intimate title. There were times in Jesus' life when Father just didn't say enough. It had to be Daddy. It had to be that joyful, intimate, connective word. Daddy, I need you. Paul used the phrase once in Galatians 4, 6, and this is what he said. And because we are his children, God's children, all of us, God has sent the Spirit of His Son, Jesus, into our hearts. That's where He lives, Christ in us, the hope of glory, right? He has sent the Spirit of His Son, Jesus, into our hearts, prompting us to call out what? Abba, Father. Now, there are many names for God. Many names for God. Uh, And how we address God many times kind of talks about our relationship with God, right? 
Um, for instance, uh, Adonai, these are Old Testament Hebrew names. Adonai means Lord, uh, Master, King, Sovereign. Elohim, God of glory. El Shaddai, God Almighty. Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. Jehovah Rapha, God our healer. And all of these are really significant, important names for God. They, they kind of more describe his character than anything else. But what those names all kind of imply is a, a distance. God's way up there and we're way down here. God is far away. He's the creator, the almighty, mysterious God of the universe, and we are down here. It, it just kind of shows that, that distance. But that name, Abba, it kind of takes all that distance from the cosmos and reduces it right down to you and I and a relationship, a personal relationship, an intimate relationship with God. Now, there's a lot of metaphors in the Bible uh, that we see that kind of describe our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Um, one of those is creator and creation. And God's a creator, we're the creation, and so the creation has no right, <laughs> deserves nothing. The, uh, the, creator, the creation has no ability to say, creator, you should do this, because we're the creation, right? So there's that kind of distant God, that kind of distant relationship, creator and creation. But then there's the uh, master and servant relationship. All of these metaphors are in the Bible. And all of you have experienced these different metaphors at different times and places in your lives, right? Um, master and slave. And so that's a very common one in the Old Testament, also the New Testament, that whole idea of God is the master and we are the slave. We are here only to do his bidding. We're here only to do what he tells us. You better, you know, God's got a hammer and if you mess up, you're going to get smoted. That's not a word, is it? No. You're going to get smashed, okay? And so that's that kind of relationship. And all of us have experienced, at different times in our lives, we've needed that kind of relationship. We've needed that, okay, God, just tell me what to do. I just want to be your servant. I want to give my life away. So there's times when that's a very meaningful metaphor. But then there's also a metaphor of the, the teacher and the student. Uh, God is the teacher. Jesus was a rabbi. And we are students. We are learning, we're listening, we're hearing, we're wanting to know what God's plan is for our life. So, Lord, teach me. So there's that teacher. And that's a little bit more intimate relationship, right? And then there's the, uh, uh, the word that Jesus used in Galatians. Uh, he said, we, we can be friends. Now, that's really different, right? It's no longer this cosmic creator creation, this master servant. But now we're friends, Jesus calls us friends, and if Jesus calls his heavenly Father Abba, so can we, Galatians 4, 6, right? So there's that, that kind of relationship that's a little bit less intense. And then we find this relationship. He is our Father. We are his children. He is our Abba, our Daddy. He's the one that we need when we're sad. He's the one that helps us when we're broken. He's the one that stands beside us when we really need something. He is our Abba, and we are his children. Abba was a word that was never uttered before in the Bible until Jesus used that word. It speaks of how Jesus lived his life with this um, intensely personal relationship with Jesus. It's it's almost embarrassing it's so intimate. 
And sometimes we're a little bit more comfortable with, you know, God is holy and everything and he's far away. We don't really have to deal with him that much except when we mess up, you know. It's almost easier to have that. But a God who not only wants to be our father, our daddy, but in other metaphors, he wants to be our bridegroom. <laughs> and we're the bride. That intimacy is almost scary. It's, it's, and that's what John was referring to when he said, behold. Now the word behold means pay attention. This is important. What I'm going to say next really matters. That's what the word behold means. He says, come on, put your books down, put your pens down, listen to this. Behold, this is really matters. He said, behold, what manner, in other words, you've never seen this before, what manner of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. What kind of love is so different, so unique, so weird almost, so, so other than we've come to know God as this angry, angry, vengeful God. What kind of God is this? Behold, pay attention. You need to hear this. This is what God wants to be in your life. Behold what manner of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and we can call him Abba. What does a human heart do when it feels lonely? The greatest need in our world today is an antidote for loneliness. Now, as Christ followers, we have that, right? We, we know that, but... There, there are seven billion people and counting on this rock that we call earth. Approximately one billion call themselves Christians, whether, they're not or whether they are or not, we don't really know. That means six billion people on this planet are not Christ followers, and many of them, not all of them, but many of them are very, very lonely. And the reason they're lonely is because they don't think they matter. People that don't think they matter are lonely. There was this wonderful uh, child's book that came out years ago. It's called The All Better Book. And children are asked different questions that vex adults, and there's a lot of them that, that vex us. And one of the questions is, uh, on this planet, there are so many people walking around. Uh, how come there are still so many lonely people in the world? We're standing shoulder to shoulder with 7 billion people. Why is it there are so many lonely people in the world? And, and what should we do about lonely people? That was the question that was asked of these children. Let me give you some of their responses. Lily, age 7, said, um, we should go and find another lonely person and ask for their name and address. Not a bad idea, you know, if you're a lonely person. You know, go and ask, you know, that's kind of like internet dating almost, you know. Go and ask another person for their name and address and, uh, and, and get together with them. Matt, age eight, said in this question of what should we do about loneliness, he said, uh, get people a pet or a husband or a wife. <laughs> I don't know which one of those would be best for you, but one of those might help. And the one little boy uh, suggested that maybe somebody should make food that talks. Now, now, that's a lonely little boy, isn't it? Come on. You know, I mean, besides snap, crackle, and pop, what's, what, you know, what food's going to, you know, can you have a cereal that talks to you? How are you doing this morning, son? Oh, I'm doing fine. What are you going to do today? You know, is there, is there anything bothering you that you'd like to talk to your cereal about? You know, you know just, uh, now, I had, a, I had a conversation once with my cereal, this was way back when I was a freshman in college. <clears throat> I was the first one to get up in our house. I had an early uh, class, and, um, and I loved uh, Captain Crunch. 
Okay, I, I know I confess it's bad for you. There's zero good stuff in it, but it sure tastes good. And I pulled it off the shelf, and I poured me a bowl of Captain Rich milk, and I'm going over my, my chemistry notes, and I'm eating cereal, and I eat a bowl, I fill it up again, and then I look down, I'm on my second bowl now, and there are literally thousands of black ants in my cereal. Now, my cereal was talking to me, you know, <laughs> The black ants, I could feel for weeks, I, feel, I thought I could feel them inside of me, you know, kind of crawling around looking for somewhere to go. But in general, our cereal is not going to talk to us. And then Brian, who's seven years old, uh, when they asked him, what should you do about lonely people? Here's what he said. Um, he said, I think that people could sing a song, stomp their feet, or read a book. Now, that's pretty sweet, right? Sometimes when I feel no one loves me, Brian said, I do one of those things. Well, what does a human heart do when it doesn't feel loved, when it doesn't feel like it matters? Sing a song, stomp your feet, read a book, get lost at work, have another drink, get real religious, buy lots of stuff, have an affair. Maybe if we do something, somehow someone will notice that we're okay and that we matter. Someone will love us and we won't be so lonely after all. John's antidote to all of that is this. Behold. Pay attention to this. This really matters. You're going to want to hear this. Behold. What manner, what outer space weird kind of E.T. love is this? Behold what manner of love is this that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Now from that wonderful text, I, I, I picked out three words that I want to share with you this morning. Uh, three things that living as Abba's child means. It means that we're embracing a new identity, we're understanding a guaranteed destiny, and we're entering into a highly motivated, thoroughly joyful kind of purity. Three key words, identity, destiny, and purity, Abba's child. The first one is this. Embracing a new identity, you are his child. What kind of a manner of love is this? Because before, they say, yeah, well, God, God loves me. He kind of has to love me because he created me, right? God loves me as long as I behave, you know, as long as I do the right things, as long as I check off the list of things I'm supposed to do. Yeah, then, then God will love. No, no, this is a, a new otherworldly kind of love. Behold, what manner, what weird kind of love is this that that we're called children of God. And we're not called children of God because we behave. We're called children of God. I'll let me tell you why. Because you are. <laughs> not because you've done something. Not because you've earned something. Because you are. You said yes to Jesus. Because you're a child of God, you are. Now this new kind of love is a completely different declaration than the old kind of love, right? This new kind of love is, is about forgiveness. I am, you mean to tell me I'm forgiven? of my sins, past, present, and future? Are you kidding me? What kind of love is that? I thought that if I did something wrong, I would get crushed in the Old Testament. What kind of love, what manner of love is this? This is something completely different, that I'm forgiven, that, that I'm redeemed, I'm no longer a slave to sin, I'm no longer a slave to this world, that I'm redeemed? What manner of love is this? 
Did I receive mercy? In other words, mercy is that we're not held accountable. We deserve hell, but we're not held guilty for that. But we are free. What kind of amazing other kind of worldly love is this? And John said it's because simply one thing. It's not anything you've done. It's because you're my child. You're my child. Now, when you realize that we are Abba's child, and, and when you recognize that you're not just welcomed into his kingdom or one day into his home, right, in heaven, that you're not just welcome there as a, as a guest or a visitor, but as a child. Now, when you have a guest, we had, at first service, we had a couple of families that were uh, moving here from Minnesota. Smart move, by the way. And uh, I wouldn't recommend doing it in June, but it's, nevertheless, it's a smart move. And, and so, uh, when we were in Minnesota, there was a, and everybody did this, uh, it was a Midwest thing. When you come into the house, the first thing you do if you're a guest, right, or visitor, you what? You take off your shoes, right? Midwesterners, you take off your because otherwise you'll tromp in snow or salt from the snow or mud or dirt or whatever. It's just kind of a common thing. If you're a guest or a visitor, you take off your shoes. Now the kids, you may tell them to take off their shoes, but they all the time forget. And they jump on the bed and they jump on the sofa. They're not supposed to do that, but they're the kids. They're not going to stop being your kids because they're misbehaved. They're just kids, right? So what kind of love is this? What kind of, what manner of love is this that we're no longer guests or visitors in God's kingdom, but we belong. We matter. We matter. And even if we misbehave, even if we jump on the couch, even if we forget to take off our shoes, God says, behold, what manner of love is this that you've been called a child of God, and, and so you are, and you are. There's something amazing about this truth that we belong to Him. So uh, over the last, uh, since we've been in this building, we've had a lot of memorial services and uh, funerals. And in my ministry, I've had over 200. And this church alone has been about 80. And um, every time we do, there's a passage of Scripture that I always read. I've never failed to read a section from Romans chapter 8. And I want to read you a, a section of that uh, this morning because this has so much to do with remembering who you are. Listen to these words from Romans 8, 37 and 38. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears or for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. You belong to him and he belongs to you. Every time we dedicate one of our children, last uh, Sunday we dedicated uh, Casey, all hands. And every time we have a baby dedication, we tell all of you that this is not something that just parents do. You're all dedicating yourselves to do everything you can to help every child that's in our church to be raised in the nurture and the love and the admonition of the Lord. Because those kids need to know something. They need to know that they're loved. They need to know that they matter. And they're loved not just by mommy and daddy, but they're loved by a lot of people. Behold, what manner of love, what kind of weird, out-of-this-world kind of love that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Parents, some of you parents here today are grieving because your kids are off the rails. 
or your kids are not following the Lord. Uh, Sherry and I have been in that position. Thank God now our kids and our grandkids are all following the Lord, but that's not always the case with Christian parents. Can I tell you something? Um, remember that time when your child said yes to Jesus? Maybe it was in Sunday school. Maybe it was in Pastor Barb's class. Maybe it was as a, as a youth over here. Uh, maybe it was at a worship service. Maybe it was long ago. But remember that time and remind your child of that. And they might say, oh, yeah, that's when I was a kid. Yeah, that's exactly right. Remember what it was like to give your heart to Jesus, to say yes. Because here's the promise of Jesus. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We'll run away from him all day long. But he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You need to remind your kids, especially those who are drifting away from God, remember that Jesus came into your life and you gave your heart to you, and he's not going to let you go. You are marked for the kingdom. Remind your kids that. Remind your grandkids that. You are marked for the kingdom. Jesus put his love and his life in you. Uh, a couple months ago, we had a baptism. We had baptized 16 people. July, I think the second Sunday in July, we're having another baptism. By the way, if you want to be baptized, uh, put that on your Connect card and we'll follow up with you. But when we have these baptisms, we always remind the people that are being baptized that, that uh, you, you, you are being marked for the kingdom. <laughs> This water is a symbol. We do the same thing with communion. This is a, a symbol that this shows that you belong to Jesus. You belong to me. And no one else can have you. Satan cannot have you. The evil one cannot have you. You belong to Jesus. You are marked for the kingdom of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. You are marked for the kingdom. That's how much God loves you. There's a wonderful uh, story in the Bible. You all know it well. We talk about it at Christmas time, right? So uh, Mary finds out that she's pregnant. The Holy Spirit, uh, the angel tells her that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Kind of weird in itself, but she says, okay, I'm talking to an angel, so I better believe this. And, uh, but that got weird because she had never had sex and she'd Never been with Joseph, her betrothed, who was going to marry her a year or so later. And it got very weird. And so an angel said, I better go and talk to Joseph. You know, this guy's having a heart attack, you know. He thinks that she's been fooling around. I better go talk to Joseph. So an angel, at Matthew chapter 1, an angel comes to talk to Joseph. And here's what he said. Joseph, everything's good. In fact, everything's amazing because your wife has been anointed by God. She has been blessed by God. She is impregnated by the Holy Spirit, so she's going to have God's child, and that's all good. And, and then here's what the angel said to Joseph. Joseph, I've got a job for you. This is so beautiful. He said, what do you want me to do? He said, I'm on board with this. What do you want me to do? He said, Joseph, I want you to give this baby the name of Jesus. Did you know that? That the angel told Joseph, he gets to name Jesus, give Jesus his name. And in that one amazing moment, Joseph, you can just see it in his head, in his heart, in his mind. He said, this child is mine. <laughs> He's no longer an adoption. He's no longer somebody else's kid. This child is mine. He belongs to me. He is my child. And there's something amazing when we make that claim. This is my child. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. When I was, uh, one of the most amazing things is that we have this absolute, beautiful identity in our lives. But then there's something else that happens. Not only do we have this identity, we also have this destiny. You have a guaranteed destiny. Do you know that? 
Did you know that if you follow Jesus, if you're a Christ follower, if you said yes to Jesus, did you know that you have a guaranteed destiny? Oh, someday I think, I, I hope I think I'll go to heaven. I'll be, I hope I'll be good enough. Well, let me give you some news. You'll never be good enough, so stop giving up that thought, right? But you are, if you're a child of God, you have a guaranteed destiny. Listen to 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, we are already God's children. I love that phrase. It's in its simplicity, and it's uh, how profound it is. I love that phrase. We are already God's children. He's talking to Christian brothers and sisters. He said, listen, we're already God's children. It's, it's not about you've got to check all the boxes. <laughs> it's not about you've got to do all the things right. It's not about you've got to be, behave all the time and never make any sense. You've got to be perfect. It's not about any of that. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will, that we will be like him when Christ appears. There's something in the future. What's that? We're going to be like Christ? We're going to be like Christ, really? But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. We have a guaranteed destiny if you are one who follows Christ. In the last couple of years, we've had several memorial services. A couple years ago, almost now, baby Jack Pollard, Cindy Barton, Trey Bell, Mike George, Ron Roper, Yuri Hoshawara, and most recently, just a couple of months ago, Gilbert Hernandez. And each and every one of them, listen, please hear this, each and every one of them have the absolute promise of eternal life. And for, for none of them was it because they were good enough. It was because they claimed the name of Jesus. Revelation 21, 3-7 says it this way. I heard a loud voice shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. Isn't that a beautiful thought, right? God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. What a promise. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne, this is Jesus, the one sitting on the throne, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And so John wrote it down, right? And he said also, it is the finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. All who are victorious will inherit these blessings, and I will be their God. And say this last part with me, and they will be my children. You have a promise, an absolute promise, a guaranteed destiny. Many years ago now, 1983, my father uh, passed away. He was 56 years old. I was 34. I was a young pastor. And the, day, the last day I spoke to him was on a Friday. He died on a Sunday. And the last thing he said to me as I was leaving his hospital room was, he said, I'll see you soon, son. At the time, I didn't think much about it, just as a greeting. But based on our conversation that we talked about, uh, I sensed later that maybe there was something more to that. I'll see you soon, son. It's the last words he said to me. And you know what? It'll be the first words he says to me when I go to heaven. Hey, you made it. It's about time. You know, that's what my dad would say. Where have you been? You know. I'll see you soon, son. 
the promise that you have as Abba's child is that you have an absolute guaranteed opportunity to spend eternity with Jesus. And he said, I will never let you go. When you're Abba's child, you have a new identity and you have a guaranteed destiny, but there's one last thing you have and it's this. Entering into a highly motivated, thoroughly joyful kind of purity. Identity, destiny, purity. 1 John 3, 3. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, there's a, that's a very fascinating verse. Uh, this verse comes in the form of a promise. Basically, it's a statement of fact. Uh, it doesn't say, well, here's what you're going to need to do. You're going to need to purify yourself to make God like you enough to let you come into the heaven, right? Or you're going to need to be really pure, at least 99.9, what was that, dove soap? 99.9% pure. Uh, 99.9% pure. You're going to have to be some level of purity. It doesn't say any of that. It says this. When you have your eyes fixed on Jesus, you will naturally, naturally do what you do and you will naturally do what he does. Now, there's a beautiful part here. It works like this. If you have begun to accept and embrace the fact that you are Abba's child, his treasured one, and if you have begun to get a glimpse of the fact that you are going to grow up and ultimately be with him for all eternity, when you embrace this truth of who you are, when you remember who you are, God's child, when you recognize this, the Bible says that you're to fix your attention on that. You don't fix your attention on being pure. It's good to try to be pure, but you're not going to make it, right? You fix your attention on Jesus, and when you fix your attention on Jesus, here's what happens. The things that matter to him matter to you. The things that he cares about, you care about. The purity things that he wants, you want, because you have your eyes fixed on him. There's a, <laughs> a beautiful story. Uh, how many of you are familiar with the phrase, spit an image? Okay, how many of you heard that? Okay, we all have, right? The people who saved me when I was a boy, to, my, my dad's name was Tom. He said, Dwayne, you're a spitting image of your dad. You know, I used to think to myself, oh, that's gross, you know, you know, you know. Well, here's what that means. A hundred years before that, in the Old South, um, uh, they would use that phrase, but the phrase wasn't spitting image. It was spirit and image. But they, we, we, we had a guy here in the first services from Virginia. He could have said this perfectly. And so when they would say it, it would be spirit and image. And over the years, it just kind of transformed into spit and image. But it's the spirit and image. You, as a child of God, listen to this, are the spirit and image of your Abba. You are the spirit and image of your heavenly Father. All the things that He loves, all the things that He wants, all the things that He holds precious, His precepts, His love for people, His love for each of you, all of that is yours when you belong to Him. I want to close with this. We all have, uh, not all of us, but many of us have children and now grandchildren and and when our kids were small, try to get their attention, you know, like herding rabbits. And, uh, okay, kids, uh, you know, daddy wants to tell you something. You know, they're all over the place. Pretty soon I have to kind of say, now listen, I want you to listen to me. 
okay? And they'd still kind of, especially if they're toddlers, kind of being all over the place. Now listen to me. And sometimes I look at me in the eyes. Look, look, look at me right now. Look at me in the eyes. And sometimes I'd have to take my hands and put my hands around their little, yeah, Mona's doing it, put their hands around that beautiful, precious little child that's going like this, you know. And you, you look at, and here's what you say, listen to me. I love you. And Daddy will always love you. I'm not particularly happy with some of the decisions you've made recently, but listen to me. There's nothing you can do that will make me love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do that will make me love you any less. Now imagine your Abba, your Heavenly Father, holding your face in His hands. And this is what He says. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so you are. Let's pray. Father, we are stunned at times by your word. We get these weird ideas about um, who God is and how mad he is at us and how much he hates us and all of those things, and then we read this amazing passage and we recognize that this relationship can be ours. And we thank you for it. That's all we can say today, Lord, from, to this message is thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being our Abba. Thank you for loving us in this otherworldly way. Thank you for being forgive, forgiving and merciful and filled with grace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so, Lord, we do thank you today and praise you in the precious in the loving name of Jesus. Amen.